gathered together from the cosmic reaches of the universe here in this great hall of justice. Superheroes have to be around other superheroes. You know what I mean? That's the Hall of Justice is more about them just commiserating about their powers and less about them like actually fighting crime. Seth Everett is the best there is at what he does, bub. And what he does is the Hall of Justice podcast. Go, go, go with a smile. Hey there, welcome to another edition of the Hall of Justice. Thank you for listening. Thank you for subscribing, the uh, the likes, all those things that people like to do. We appreciate that you're doing it. The audience has been very receptive to this podcast, and I uh, hope you're going to enjoy. This is episode 288. That means there's 287 other ones of this, and uh, most of them are good. I'm not going to say all of them are good, but most of them uh, are, are good. Our guest today uh, has a long history with DC. I know that uh, you know he does have some ties to Marvel. We'll, we'll, we'll address those uh, as well, but this is a primarily a DC show. You know, if you've listened to the Hall of Justice during the years. Uh, we have been all over the uh, the CW shows, you know, Arrow and The Flash and Supergirl and this one and that one. And this guy's like one of the architects behind the whole thing. Uh, he's now working on a really cool project that he can't tell us anything about. So he's going to be an absolutely fantastic guest. <laughs> Let's welcome in Mark Guggenheim. Mark, thanks so much for doing this. Welcome to the podcast, man. Hey, thanks, man. Thanks for having me. Uh, it's good to good to, to have you. You know, it's funny. A lot of times we can start this one of two ways. Uh, we can do the this is your life and then it sounds like a roast. And then, you know, <laughs> if, if we ever memorialize you, the, you know, then, then, then we have uh, the detail okay. or or we can go in reverse order. Uh, and I thought that would be uh, kind of neat. Uh, you are currently working on you're the second person uh, to be on this podcast that is currently working on this uh, new uh, HBO Max series, Green Lantern Corps. Um, so if I'm to understand correctly, you can't tell me if Hal Jordan, Kyle Rayner, Guy Gardner, John Stewart, or any of them are in it. All you can say is that there's a ring and it's green. That's it. I can tell you that Guy Gardner's in it. Okay, tell me that. That's something. That's progress, right? That is progress. Um, you know, look, here, here's the thing. First of all, I think, I think it's important to note that I'm not uh, show running this show. Um, right. So I have even less license than normal to to speak about it um okay. you know that's before you even get into the the you know incredibly secretive nature of developing i usually most any superhero show number one number two right. you know we're doing it for Warner Brothers and HBO Max, who have made it very clear to us that they would, uh, you know, like to be the ones sort of in charge of how information gets disseminated, including what information and when. Um, so, sure. yeah, I wish I could I wish I could talk about it. it's, you know, 
it's a really, really cool project. It's obviously very near and dear to my heart. Um, I love working on it. I love, you know, the people I'm working on it with, including Lamont. Um, you know, because Lamont and I, you know, as I like to say, we're, we're in the trenches together on sure. uh, Crisis on Infinite Earths. Um, and I, yeah, I see, think it see has... a lot of people have money on the fact that that they thought that's what I was going to bring up first. Ah, I'm interesting. such a fanboy of Crisis ah. on Infinite Earth. So <laughs> just indulge me, indulge. Oh, sure. Yeah, absolutely. So, so uh, you know, I, I really do wish I could, um, I, I could talk about it. Um, you know, I can say that I'm, uh, it's funny. I, I'm, I'm working today, in fact, on, uh, you know the the outline for uh the season finale um so we're that's we're what you're doing away. today huh that's Makes what i'm doing feel well I, in the midst of my daughter's graduation from oh, junior okay. high <laughs> and uh another project that i'm working on with greg berlanti that's uh really fun and exciting uh that i'm doing with greg and a pair of other writers that is actually completely outside the superhero universe um really? so uh yeah it's a packed day it's yeah, a, it sounds like it. Sounds day. like it. Well, we won't uh, dilly dally then. Uh, we'll get right to the the heart of the matter. How did you meet Greg? How do you oh. know Greg? It seems like you've been tied to a lot of his projects, and he's been yes. tied to yours uh, together. What? Yes. How did that connection start? Um, a friend of mine, Vanessa Taylor, co-created with Greg and Brad Meltzer, who I'm sure you know. Sure. And, he's uh, uh, he's on our list. Yeah, we're, and, Br and Brad is on his way to becoming a, a guest on this podcast. He, he's a great guy. He's a really yeah. great guy. Um, and, and we had Brad John Witt, what we had his, uh, his old roommate, Judd Winnick on. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. Um, it's funny. I've never actually, I've never met Judd, um, yeah. but I, you know, I, I, Brad speaks very, very, very highly of him. Yeah. Um, and I like Judd's work a lot. Um, and, 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 but the, the final creator of the show uh, was a guy named uh, Stu, uh, Steve Cohen. And anyway, I was friends with Vanessa. The, the show that they, these uh, four very smart people created was a show called Jack and Bobby. Okay. And, uh, Basically, Vanessa brought me in uh, to have a what was a staffing meeting uh, with Greg. Um, mm -hmm. They were, you know, hiring writers, obviously, for this new show. And I met Greg and we immediately hit it off. Um, and we had a we had just a very good meeting. But it was really the process of working on Jack and Bobby with Greg that we basically sort of realized we we filled in a lot of each other's blanks you know like there were there was a lot of overlap in terms of our interests uh and a lot of overlap in terms of our sensibilities um but like you know like i could sort of you know play guitar to his piano and you know and i don't know the metaphor breaks down but um <laughs> it, we you know we just really you know sort of you know, completed each other. Um, and yeah, it's been, it's been a wonderful, it's, I mean, apart from my wife, Greg is longest relationship I've had in Los Angeles. You know, I, I didn't grow up here. I, I moved out here in two, in March of 2000. You're from New York, right? I'm from New York. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I'm from Long Island specifically. Uh, and but are you one of those Long Islanders that calls it strong Island? Um, I like that. It, it gives me a little smile, but oh, I just boy. generally speaking call it call it Long Island and and try whenever I say that to yeah, my uh, wife's people. from Long Island and her whole family's in Long Island. So oh, really? every Jewish holiday, just imagine me on the LIE. Oh, yeah. Just, oh, yeah. 
I love the LA. Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, it's an acquired taste. Um, but um, yeah, so I, I you know, it, it's just been a wonderful, you know, partnership. Um, and we, you know, we, we work on stuff together and we obviously work on stuff uh, separately. And, um, you know, it's it, this is actually it's it's a lot of fun. Uh, this project that I'm doing with Greg, another thing I can't talk about because um, it's in the very nascent stages. But it's, can you it's, confirm that it's not flight attendant, which is phenomenal? Uh, yeah, I can confirm it's it's it's, it's not. not a TV show. Oh, and okay. It's okay. um it, it's not a TV show, and it's not uh, uh anything that is in the genre space. Fair enough. Um, just for for context, um, I always think the best way to to uh, gauge sensibility is what's a target year that this Jack and Bobby show uh, that you have this meeting, what what's going on in the world in terms oh, of the genre that kind of, cause it kind of morphs your sensibilities. You know, you know what I mean? Like is, what, what year is this? That's a great question. I got to do math now. Um, <laughs> oof, this is tough. Okay. So it's funny. I mark things by, by my career. So um, by 10 poles in your career, but yeah, pretty well, or just been like, Oh, what, what, I don't think like what year it was. I think like what season of television was I working right. on? So, so I was working on my third year on Law and Order when I met. It was the okay. end of the season, towards the end of the season, and that's when I met Greg. So that would have been how how long before Eli Stone is that? Because Eli Stone oh. is two thousand nine. Yeah, this is this is. I'm just trying to give context. Two. This is two thousand four. So this is five years before Eli. So that's the um, heart of Smallville, right? Yes. The hottest thing going on yes. in, when, when you're having this initial meeting, the yes. hottest thing going on is in, yes. in, in superhero world. It wasn't the, the X-Men movie, the Spider-Man movie and, and Smallville. Yes. Yes, absolutely. And, and truth be told, um, you know, genre wasn't even a, a glimmer in uh, either Greg's eye or my eye at that at that point in time um in, in large part because with the exception of smallville and, and with the exception of star trek voyager which is on around the same time um you know there really wasn't any genre on you know i mean there was like there was law like lost actually hadn't even premiered yet um you know so it it, it really you know it genre just wasn't a thing um you know obviously that was going to change in the you know, in the upcoming years, uh, in a big way. But, uh, yeah, it, it, apart from, apart from just a handful of shows, it wasn't dominating the airwaves the way that it does, you know, today. So if we bounce around, let, let's talk about the idea, uh, that Smallville comes to an end and you guys are, are, are talking to Warner brothers and they say there's, you, you can make a DC show. Was it a show about Green Arrow? Did they want it to be Justin Hartley? Did they want it to be a spinoff? What t take me through like what creative license you had and how you came to what became Arrow? Okay, so so it basically what happened uh, was that Greg was originally under a deal at Warner Brothers, um, and that's where he did Everwood, and that's where he did Jack and Bobby, um, and. And then he left Warner Brothers to make a deal with ABC Studios. At the time, it was called Touchstone Television. And there, that's where we did Eli Stone, and that's where right. 
he uh you know did we we did brothers and sisters oh yeah and yep. he did very sexy money and you know and and, and all sorts of other things oh, my um, family loved brothers and sisters my god uh, you know what honestly that year working on brothers and sisters it was the year we were in prep on the eli pilot and and i you know greg sort of brought me in uh to brothers and sisters and it was actually my it was probably my favorite year of my career i just had such a blast working on that show with those people yeah, yeah. anyway um greg you know it, it starts thinking about um you know ending his deal at abc studios and going back to warner brothers and he has lunch with peter roth uh who at the time was the head of warner brothers television and says you know, he, he's just talking about the ideas he has for shows. And and Greg very specifically had an idea for how to do a Green Arrow show, um, you know, it, with the flashbacks and the island and everything. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, um, you know, Peter's like, that sounds amazing. Um, Greg uh, ends his deal at ABC Studios, comes to Warner Brothers. Um, the Green Lantern movie comes out. Uh, now, the, the Green Lantern movie experience was, shall I say, not a great experience for Greg, me, yeah, and, and I wasn't going to lead with it. <laughs> oh, it's, you know, look, I mean, you know, it, it is what it is, um, sure. you know, um, you know, and our co-writer, Michael Green, like, just wasn't a great experience. And the reason it wasn't a great experience was that it basically got taken away from all three of us. You know, it, it, you know, they, they brought in another writer to rewrite us. Martin Campbell, you know, had had his vision uh, of the movie, which differed from ours, um, you know, and and the reason I'm, I'm telling you all this is because yeah. Green Lantern comes out and then in a, you know, a coincidence of remarkable timing, Peter Roth comes back to Greg and says, how about that Green Arrow show? And, <laughs> you know, Greg had mentioned it to me and we were both talking about working on it uh, together. Um, but then Green Lantern comes out and it's like, do we really want to do this again? You know, do we do we want to be put through that meat grinder? Do we want to I mean, God, like, you know, we can't be associated with another failed DC property, much less another one with green in the title. Geez. Um, <laughs> and, you know, the the arrangement that, that Greg worked out with Peter would be that we wouldn't be put through the meat grinder and that it, we would retain full artistic and creative control um because that was sort of the only circumstance the under which thing, yeah. greg and i would would were willing to do it <laughs> um and uh and peter said yes yes and yes um we we didn't develop the show in the normal traditional fashion um we basically said look we're not going to do like normally you do a story area and uh, an outline and then you get notes on both and then you go off to script and they get notes on that and and we're like we're, we're not doing a lot and this is going to be a lot more streamlined what we're going to do is we will have two meetings we will pitch at the studio level and we will pitch at the network level and then if you like it in a few weeks uh you will get a script and off of that script you will decide whether or not you want to make the pilot hmm. um we're we're not doing the whole development process. There won't be an article in Variety um, saying that we're working on this. Um, it, it, this will simply be you script and you say yes or no. Um, and we they said they said fine. Uh, we we did two pitch meetings. Um, we wrote the script, uh, and um, they said yes. 
Um, and, and it was, you know, and, and we learned, look, we, we learned a lot from the Green Lantern experience, but one of the things we, I think the primary takeaway lesson, uh, and I think Greg would agree with me on this was we, we had to, you know, if we're going to go down, we're going to go down on our vision. We're not right. going to, you know, be, be saddled by someone else's vision. This portion of the Hall of Justice is brought to you by Batman, the audio adventures only on HBO Max. Yes, it is true. There's a new audio show and it's on HBO Max already. Bruce Wayne may appear to be a wealthy playboy, but beneath this facade, his true identity is that of the Batman, waging an endless war against crime. I can't do the voice. Join the Cape Crusader in Batman The Audio Adventures, the first scripted audio original featuring Batman and his villainous rogues gallery in a world premiere story of life and death in Gotham City, debuting exclusively on HBO Max. We've had guests on the Hall of Justice that have played Batman. This time it is Jeffrey Wright. He's starring as Batman. Joined by a who's who of incredible Saturday Night Live alums. This rollicking adventure told across 10 episodes is written and directed by Emmy winner Dennis McNicholas. It includes devilishly delightful original music by Doug Bossy and performances by Rosario Dawson, John Leguizamo, Chris Parnell, Melissa Villasenor, Seth Meyers, Jason Sudeikis, Brooke Shields, Fred Armisen, and many, many more. Go to hbomax.com slash Batman Audio Adventures for more. Stream Batman The Audio Adventures only on HBO Max. Now back to the Hall of Justice. The, the Green Lantern movie didn't seem like it was made by people who were fans of the genre. Well, yes, and, and I, I, I would agree with that. Um, and I, I always like and you to, can always... tell And you can tell when things are you know like yes. uh, oh, yeah, just to, as an example when when you see the mandalorian you know yes. that favreau is a fanboy of this stuff and he is playing with toys that he loves you can yes. sense when things are not you know th that it's more yeah. corporate well i you know it, it, it's and it's funny like you know we did we did a few drafts with martin for martin and I, I got the sense of the things that Martin had his arms around conceptually and the things that Martin was struggling to get his arms around. And the funny thing is, is like the best parts of the movie are, are still the parts that he understood from Jump, hmm. you know, and he liked from Jump. It was, it's, it, you know, the failure points in the movie are, are really in those things where it was like, oh yeah, I remember those meetings. Like he just, he just had trouble getting there. Um, and, and I, I want to be very clear. I think Martin's an incredibly nice guy and I really enjoyed working with mm -hmm. him. Um, but I, I always like to point out, um, that a very simple Google search will surface our first draft, uh, of the movie. Oh, now, okay. our first draft of the movie is, it's, it's very much a first draft. Um, but it, it is the movie that we intended to make. Um, well and, um, and it's, you know, it, it is starkly different uh, from from the movie that you saw. Um, it, you know, it also, by the way, is probably like a good hundred million dollars more expensive uh, th to make than the movie that you saw. But hey, um, at, at any rate, it you know, it, it was it, it, it's I always say, like, if not for Green Lantern, there is no arrow like, sure. you know, um, it, the that or at least not arrow in the way that any of us 
remember it and recognize it to be because uh, that whole Green Lantern experience was very formative um, for That's us. Fascinating. I I'm, I'm really glad uh, that 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 you went there. Um, so you're you're deciding to you know you have basically your own autonomy and you can decide on this series. Um, Oliver Queen had been on Smallville and he had, you know, Justin Hartley played him and, and that was, that was known. He had made an appearance a few years prior in the justice league animated series. And there's this plethora of comic book history. Sure. How did you reach the decision to go as dark as you did? How did you reach the decision to make it as, as, um, edgy as it as it was you know what i'll say about arrow it from and, and i'm not kissing your ass you know you, you're on the podcast already it just amongst all that bravado there's a lot of heart and and there's something to it but i didn't see that character evolving like i didn't i i thought i knew the stuff i knew the genre and that guy was was different how did you reach that show from the Green Arrow. Well, you know, it's funny. I, I, there's a variety of different versions of the Green Arrow. Um, and, sure. you know, and, and to a large extent, like when, when Greg and I, when Greg first mentioned the idea of doing a Green Arrow show to me, the, the first two comic books that came to my mind um, that, uh, that were touchstones for, for me were the Longbow Hunters series by Mike Rell and uh, Green Arrow Year One uh, by, uh, you know, Andy Diggle um, and, and Jock. Um, and is that why his name is John Diggle? That is exactly why his name is John Diggle, oh, um, because because that was, you know, Year One. You know, it's funny when Greg pitched to me, like I had this idea with intercuts with the island and everything. I'm like, oh, like there's a whole like series that's that I sort of described as year one is proof of concept that you can get five years worth of story out of the island. Um, and uh, so, yeah, it was very intentionally, you know, a tip of the hat to Andy because, you know, his, you know, that that series really was a big, big influence for literally half the show, uh, you know, all, all the stuff on Lian Yu. Um, so the. You know, so yes, we could have gone like you know there there's a, a much lighter version of Green Arrow. Um, we we didn't want to spin off of you know Smallville, mainly because we that that would have actually driven a lot of tonal choices. Right. Um, you know, and and also not not the least of which being then you're you're in a world of superpowers which originally was not our intention. Our intention was there would be no superpowers. Right. So you know, somebody listening to this podcast just goes, no, whatever. <laughs> I, well, it, it really is true. I mean, honestly, like we really, I, I think it was only until, it wasn't until the middle of season one that Greg started to, to think of like, oh, wait a second, we could, we could start expanding this out. Um, the original, original intent was that it would be totally grounded. Um, and there wouldn't be, you know, any any superpowers, um, you know, and and the other sort of two influences in terms of tone and everything were obviously Batman Begins, um, and and the whole you know Dark Knight trilogy, um, but the other uh, the other comp, uh, as we we like to say, uh, was Homeland, um, you know, uh, 
the the idea of Damian Lewis's character comes back home yep. from a you know a torturous mentally and physically torturous experience and he's changed and you don't know how he's changed and there's an element of danger huh. there sure um and homeland I, is I a think, fantastic show i it's absolutely fantastic show and particularly those those first two years you yep. know with brody and uh, and that was a like that was a real touchstone for us and none of that i think would have worked in the smallville universe sure um that being said, you know, Smallville went off the air and we went on the air and we basically inherited the Smallville crew um, and the Smallville stages. You mean, you mean the staffing and all, all the... Yeah, like yeah. our, you know, our, our camera, everyone, like a lot of the directors, our DPs, um, yeah. you know, everybody. Like, so sure. we're we're not a literal spinoff of Smallville, but we are a, you Logistical. know, institutional, yeah, uh, <laughs> spinoff of Smallville. Yeah, uh, and 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 then it, it was off and running, and you kind of led me to to where um, the decision must have gone. And there's going to be a time during the course of this podcast that I I think I'm going to say the same thing, uh, and it's going to be the same question to multiple different situations. So there's a meeting, right? You're you're in a room somewhere, you're and and you're talking about possibly expanding this world um into into a universe um how effing cool is that and what is like when you walk out of that meeting are you like holy crap that looks as fun as it is i've seen interviews with you i've seen interviews with greg like you guys look like you were kids in a candy store like it was just like you had opened pandora's box but in the best way well it's funny like i remember uh, when we did Crisis on Earth X, um, we had, you know, uh, we had ev- everyone uh, on the bridge of the Wave Rider. Yeah. And, um, you know, someone sent me a picture with just that whole cast. And I sent it to Greg with the caption, what have we wrought? <laughs> um, and, you know, I, I actually think, you know, the best, the best, best, best part, I think, of the Arrowverse or the Berlantiverse or the you know, yeah. CWDC shows, whatever the CW is calling it these days, um, verse is it, it was never planned out as this massive thing. It was brick by brick. It was, there was no like, oh, we're going to do this and then we're going to do this and we're going to do this. It was, it was like, you know, Greg had the idea of like, you know, I want to do a flash show. You know, uh, Greg, Michael Green, and I—we, uh, we, we, you know, returned to the scene of the crime, and we worked on a flash movie. Um, and, um, you know, Greg, you know, I think the Flash has always been Greg's favorite character, and he really wants to do a Flash show. Um, and, and that was it. Like, it was like, okay, Arrow and Flash, and, and we sort of, you know, Greg and I both. One of the main things we share in common is a love for the Six Million Dollar Man, the Bionic Woman. And we, you know, loved how those two shows crossed over with each other, you know, yeah. once a year. And we were like, oh, we're going to do that. And that's, you know, it, it, it harkens back to our childhood. And, um, and, and, and that was it. And then the, the next thing that happened was. Is it the um, ratings? No, no, it was basically it, 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 it. It's funny, a lot of these conversations really just sort of start with someone at the studio network going like, what about this? Um, and 
you know, Mark Pedowitz, and it's fine, we had been having our own internal conversations about this, so it's kind of funny that that this sort of paralleled, but Mark Pedowitz, the president of the CW, sort of like, he looked at like, you know, um, he, he looked at sort of the, the shows and he's like, you've got all these characters that you've established. You know, by this point we had, you know, this was, you know, season, season four of Arrow, season three of Flash. We had, you know, we had Cold, Captain Cold, and we had Heatwave, and we had, you know, uh, Canary, and we had, you know, the Atom. And it's like, you, you start to look at all these these characters and you go, that's a potential show there. Um, so, you know, that that's how Legends of Tomorrow happened. Um, you know, meanwhile, Supergirl is getting developed on a totally different network. Um, so that, that, you know, that's why she's on a different earth because she's on, she's on, I always originally, like originally it was a different network and yeah. you didn't have the ability to, to that's put right. it on. She, she's on earth CBS as I, why, as I like why, to why did a Warner brothers property go on CBS? Great question. I mean, here's the thing. Warner brothers at the time, um, for the longest time, Warner brothers was the only like major studio without its own network you know cw is shared with cbs productions um or its own streamer you know there is no hbo at the time, right at that right. point that's why so, all the shows are still on netflix right so and i, I said only I, I i meant only one of two sony uh, would also fit into this category and so warner brothers business model at the time was they had to sell to other networks um mm. You know, uh, and and they do, and they did. You know, uh, all the time. And they, by the way, they still do. Like, you know, um, I, I don't, you know, have Warner Brothers slate at my, you know, my my ability to recall. But um, yeah, that, that their business model requires them to sell outside of, you know, the CW. So you know, not at all uncommon. Um, I think it's more honestly. I think it's more a question of why would CBS buy a show not from Warner Brothers, but why would CBS buy a show? that is so far outside their normal, you know, bread and butter. Um, but, you know, you'd have to ask CBS. <laughs> yeah, of course, uh, they, they would. Um, all right, a couple of, uh, of, of superhero-y type questions. Uh, number one, um, I don't know exactly your involvement on The Flash, but you were right there, uh, you know, in, in the midst of all of it. The decision to make the main character Barry Allen versus Wally West in the late in the early 2000s uh, Wally West was in the Justice League uh, Wally West had been in the comics for years and there's a whole generation of people that thought Wally West was their flash it's something I've seen online it's something I've seen a, a lot of, of of talk about the dis I always thought especially when when it was announced that they had hired John Wesley Ship I said Oh, he could be Barry Allen yes. and Grant could be Wally West. And that, you know, and 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 the 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 love interest could be Linda. And you know, you know, it was yeah. it was it was what was timely in that time. Was that I'll be honest, I wasn't in those rooms. Um, I wasn't involved, you know, with Flash. Um in, in fact, you know, I was I was sort of singularly focused on Arrow. I I sort of only got involved with the breaking out of the universe, as it were, in, in two respects. Number one, you know, I, I was, because of passion and just because of a certain amount of, I will say, just protosorial ledger domain, um, 
I became very involved with the crossovers, um, sure. increasingly involved as, as the years progressed. Um, and then, of course, obviously being involved with Legends and, and whatnot. But um, I wasn't involved with Flash. I wasn't involved with Supergirl. Um, you know, so I, I, I can't speak to the, the decision, um, you know, to go with Barry versus Wally. Um, I love Wally West. I'm, I'm a huge, massive fan of the original, uh, you know, Mark, uh, Mark Barron and Jackson mm -hmm. Geis run. Mm -hmm. In fact, um, Jackson as a, as a gift gave to me an homage of, uh, an homage of issue, uh, one's cover, uh, with Wally running, but it's, it's the Barry, uh, from the CW show, oh, uh, nice. wearing the That's flash awesome. costume. Um, and it's really, really cool. And I, I actually, I have hanging up uh, in my little little gallery of comic book art. I've got Jackson's original Jackson's original unpublished uh, cover for Flash One oh, next wow. to the homage. Um, and uh, that's awesome. It, it always yeah. It, it's it's, it's very, uh, very cool. Really gives me a gives me a smile every time I see it. All right. Oh, all right. Then 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 I'll bounce around. Uh, the decision to go with Legends. There had been crossovers before, and when I look at Legends, and I, I say this in the most complimentary tone, it just seems like Legends was an embarrassment of riches. It's, it's all these shows are hitting high marks. I mean, season one of The Flash was brilliant. Um, you know, you, you guys are, are cruising on all, all, all these, uh, all these, these uh, angles. The, the genre is growing exponentially. And here, so let's give me another show. Let's let's take another show with with with, with the sidekicks, or, or or what could we do? Tell me the origin of Legends and what Legends originally was versus what it became. Great, great question. Uh, so you know, like I said, you know, Mark Pedowitz. Oh, I'll, okay, I'll tell you something. I'll give you an exclusive. Oh, here we go. When when basically the seat when the CW said we'd like a third show. We originally were developing a Hawkman and Hawkwoman show. Nice. It, it okay. started out as as basically like a, a two hander. Uh, That'd be expensive. Hawk. You'd have to fly. It, yeah. Well, you know it, that actually wasn't our problem. Uh, oh. our, our problem was the more we talked about it, the more we realized what's different about this from Flash or right. Arrow. Um, and and the answer was not enough. Like right. it, 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 you know, it wasn't different enough to justify its own show. Meanwhile, you know, Mark Pedowitz is doing the same math we are, which is there is a a group of of heroes uh, and villains that that have been populating, you know, Arrow and Flash for a number of years at this point. Why not do a, an ensemble? Like no one, you know. We haven't done a superhero ensemble. Quite frankly, no one had done a superhero ensemble on television. Um, and that got us very excited. Um, and, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I'll, I'll let me be uh, reductive in terms of your, your, can I rephrase your question in, in a way of, uh, you, you know. You can hijack this whole podcast. Uh, okay. okay. So, so you, you basically asked, um, you basically asked, why does Legend season one suck so badly? And how did you know to change it in season two? Um, and, um, well, that was so would, not going to be my question, but okay. I know, I know. I, I actually, I don't actually think season one sucks. I, I don't I, at all. I do think, I do think this, um, in normal course of business, especially on network television, 
you do a pilot and the pilot shows you everything. The pilot shows you what's working, what's not working. Oh, that scene is, plays really well. That doesn't play the way we thought it would, you know, and, and this, this actor is great. This actor is really weak. And, and you then you, you do the pilot, you take a break and then you design the series off of the pilot. Um, we didn't do that. Um, we went straight to series with Legends. So that moment of post-mortem self-reflection didn't come at the end of episode one. It came at the end of season one. And the whole reason season one and season two and beyond uh, are so different from each other is because of that conversation. Like what's working, what's not working. Um, and we, we very intentionally sort of retooled the show in season two um, really to match what was working, you know, and, and steering away from what wasn't working, you know. Um, so that, that's the reason, like, if you were to watch those two seasons back to back, you'd be like, what the hell happened there? And again, without, you know, I, I think season one is, is often unfairly maligned. Um, but to me, the, the, you know, the way I would sort of sum up the epiphany that we had was we thought we were doing the Avengers when what we really had was Guardians of the Galaxy. Right. What, you know? what, what, what it became was a show that uh, just got wilder by the minute. Yes. Well, and originally know, it was supposed to be this like ensemble show fighting this massive villain. Yes. And it was yes. just like, well, screw that. Let's let, let let's just go have fun. Oh, it, it, well, it's you know, it's funny. And, and the DNA, is that, by the way, is that focus group response? Like, is that audience yeah. response or is that you guys just arbitrarily have that choice? It, 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 there were no, I mean, I'm sure they focused, uh, tested the, the show at, at numerous points. No, it was just us. It was us going, um, you know, it, it was us going what works and what doesn't. And, and it's fine. I always say like as zany as seasons two and beyond are, and they definitely got zanier, um, was the DNA is in the first episode that, that bar fight scene to love will keep us together. Uh -huh, uh -huh. Like, like that's like that I was in the editing room pointing like that's I'm like, that's the show. That's I where the show, it. you know, I think is is at its best. Um, and, you know, and yeah, I mean, the show sort of evolved and, and got zanier and as it went. And I think, you know, very much to the good, um, uh -huh. you know, and I, I'm actually one of the things I love about Legends is I, I love shows that evolve and change. Um, you know, and it, it, Legends Arrow over, certainly did. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, again, you learn, you mm -hmm. learn things, you try things, you know, you have an arc, like, you, you have a character go through yeah. a journey. Well, that's the thing, you know, and, and we're, you know, we, you know, I, I hate, I hate shows that are frozen in amber, you know, um, I just, it, right. the fonts, like the fonts never goes. Yeah, it's like, I don't develops. like, yeah, it's like, I, I don't like I don't have a need to watch those shows because every episode essentially becomes the same, you know? So I, I like, I like shows that, that, uh, you know, that, that have some, you know, change and evolution to them. I am, uh, I'm in the interest of time. Uh, I am leaving so much on the table. I cannot even tell you there's a treasure trove of like a B sides version of this podcast. Um, 
where uh, there's so many follow-ups. Like you're, you're saying we'll, so we'll many hook, interesting we'll, things. We'll hook it up. We'll, yeah, we'll I'll, have to I'll do another back. one. I'll, I'll yeah. darken your doorstep again. We'll have to, we'll have to do another one. Um, but let's, let, let's, let's play the hits. Uh, the Crisis on Infinite Earths. I know you had done the other cr- crossovers, yes. which are all good. The Crisis on Infinite Earths is totally different. Um, yes. Is it true that it is, was your decision to have infinite Earths and have all the other Earths be things from other DC properties? The, uh, the you know, Burt Ward and Tom Welling and, and you know, Robert Wall and, and all these different things and how that seemingly connected every aspect of DC existence and connects the dots. And for, you know, people who, fans who, who, who you know, Michael Keaton is their Batman, you know, whatever it is, it just, it validated all of them. And you were able to pull all of that off in a, in, in, and it didn't seem forced because that Thank was you. the worlds that were getting destroyed. What was that? Same question as earlier. What is that meeting like? Well, I'll, I'll, t- I'll tell you. So basically, we assembled a writer's room for uh, Crisis. You know, it's, it's from five- the, all, all the existing shows. Yes. Yeah. So we, yeah we, we basically cherry picked, you know, writers uh, and, you know, and, and the showrunners were involved in everything. And I brought into that room what I called like a skeleton, a structure for like, okay, this is like, I, you know, this can change, um, but just so we have something to work off of, you know, here's here's the the scaffolding that I think we could work with, and really just taking my cue from the original comic, um, I was like, we have, you know, let's open it up with, you know, essentially visiting all these Earths as they get destroyed, and wouldn't it be fun if we brought in other DC properties? And I didn't actually have like. Like, uh, I think it was Jay Faber who uh, suggested Burt Ward, um, you know, uh, because he had actually been on a plane with Burt and um, got a chance to talk to him. He's like, I think he like I think he'd be up for it. And we, we basically made like a wish list of of people uh, to go to. Um, so smart. And and some people, uh, you know, uh, some people said no <laughs> um, and other people said yes. Um, and. We we just I, I actually it's funny I look back on I'm like you had I the birds believe. of prey I mean you guys didn't I, miss a beat I I'm like I can't believe I I'm like I honestly can't believe we got so many people to say yes I and and then I really can't believe we were able to pay them um <laughs> you know uh and and I I do look back on it and I'm like wow like how did we do how do we pull that off because. Every single cameo, every single reference, it's got to get cleared by DC. It's got to, you know, the actor has to, you have to, you know, negotiate a contract with them. And like, it, it, it's a whole thing. And then, you know, we, we bookended the, the series with, you know, uh, the sequence where that I called going around the horn, where we saw the, the newly reconstituted earths and, It's like, okay, like, you know, like that shot of Doom Patrol, um, yep. every single actor had to sign off, uh, oh, which means God. they had to get paid, which means a deal had to get negotiated. That's just for one shot. Right. Um, you know, you, then you got to wash, rinse, repeat that for the entirety of the sequence. Well, it's one nothing. thing I said, not, not, not to play on the tangent, yeah. but we, I talked to Todd Helbing recently and, and Eric Wallace recently. And what I've never said, and I, I, I make sure I note this, the show never seems cheap. Like the, oh, those shows never seem cheap. 
That's really but great to hear. Crisis feels theatrical. It, like oh. it felt like you took these guys. It was like it was like you know the the Dukes of Hazard get a movie. Like it was like it was like these were characters you knew, you were familiar with them because you had seen hundreds of episodes of these things, and now they're going in. And then when you hit these nerves with these old universes and all these different things. Um, again, I, I could have you on for hours. Um, what was it like talking to Brandon Routh about reprising Superman? I'm, I'm thinking back to the initial conversation. Um, Superman Returns is one of those movies that, that literally leaves such a bad taste in people's mouth because there's so much they could have done with it. I, I don't disagree, but at the same time, I find it to be very unfairly maligned. Um, I, I rewatched it, you know, I, I rewatched it in advance of Crisis, and I was like, oh, this movie holds up much better than people remember. That fight um, scene with, with Luther is oh, fantastic. There, uh, there's so many fantastic things, you know, the, the saving of the space plane, you name it. Like, it's it's really actually, like, the, the, the flashback sequence where he discovers he can fly, it's brilliant. Um, well, and, and just for the record, you know, I, I, I've said and I had Zack Snyder on this podcast a bunch of years ago. Um, Superman Returns is far superior, in my opinion, than Man of Steel. Oh, I completely agree. Well, you know, it is. I, I, I wouldn't comment necessarily on the filmmaking. Right. right. No, one no, is, no. It's just one a is, story. You know, just one, a super one story. is one is a Superman movie and the other is a Zack Snyder movie. Thank um, you. No, what you know, I what I said was it's a military, it's Independence Day with an alien yeah, that you yeah. recognize. Yeah. Um, you know, it's really funny actually. I was working with David Goyer uh, on uh, a show called Flash Forward, and I remember very vividly uh -huh. when he came into the office one day and he's like, "I figured out a Superman movie," and and it <laughs> was, and it and it really was all centered around um, that scene in the church where. You know, Zada said, "Surrender Superman," and and what's Superman going to do? Um, so um, it just it always sort of tickles me um, that that like you know uh, I was I was like, oh I, I was there for the moment of conception. The um, the crisis. My 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 suggestion now with streaming uh, of, of uh, with the different shows being on different places, um, it would be great to see like one release of the crisis. I've um, been lobbying for that forever. Yeah. Um, you know, just because I, I think now, like part two is on HBO Max, but part yeah. three is on Netflix or something like that. But the one thing I would love to do, you know, maybe in a few years, like for an anniversary or something, like. But my my fantasy is to be able to sort of go back into the editing room and um, do do a few things not the least of which would be assemble the entire thing as one big story. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, you know, so it's not all sort of segmented in parks and, and quite frankly, lose the act breaks so again, make it one. Continuous. There was, and there was, there was like a month in between parts three and four, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah, there was, um, you know, uh, yeah, so you know, I just, just to, you know, um, you know, sort of do the, not the director's cup, but maybe the remix or the, uh, yeah. remastered, ver the remastered version of, of, uh, there's Crisis. a chance to make money for that. And an HBO the, max would eat uh, that, that thing up. The two uh, takeaways, and then I'll, I'll, I'll let you go. Um, number one, uh, w was it your idea to ask Ed Ezra Miller to do that scene? Oh, no, it wasn't, actually. So uh, th how did the that, come that came about? about? How did Ezra yeah. Miller come about? And 
you know, for people who are, you know, it's such a polarizing universe, you know, the Justice yes. League and Zack Snyder and all of that, such a polarizing thing to bring that universe and to say that it coexists with the CW Arrowverse is fascinating. What you accomplish for fans thank in you. two minutes. Oh, thank you. Well, I, I'll tell you how it happened because it was very exciting. So I had been trying to get the Snyderverse uh, represented in the go around the horn segment at the end. Okay. Um, th that that's what I had been, you know, attempting to do, which is, you know, basically like, basically give me, give me some, I think they were shooting Wonder Woman two at the time. I'm like, give me like some that, dailies from Wonder Woman two. Like, like that scene in uh, Peacemaker when uh, yeah, the Justice yeah, League yeah, shows up. Like, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Like, yes, I want to do something yes. like that. Yeah. And, um, it was always no, 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 no. Um, so. Although on we, the CW, you couldn't say fuck a fish. Uh, no, no, we definitely <laughs> did not. Um, there's a lot of things we, we couldn't do that you could do on HBO Max. But, but anyway, like, so we wrapped. We were done. Uh, we were in post-production on Crisis. Um, uh, you know, I was in the editing room on parts four and five. Um, Arrow itself is wrapped. I mean, the whole series is wrapped. Right, it's right, not even right, shooting right. anymore at this point. And I'm driving, I'm driving towards the lot. I remember exactly where I was. And I get a phone call from Peter Roth. And he's like, you're not going to believe I'm asking this but can you get Ezra Miller in crisis? And I said, absolutely. And he said, how? And I said, I have no earthly idea. Um, <laughs> but, but I'll figure you, a way. You, you told me I can, so I'm going to. Um, and, and basically it's fine. Like I, I was literally two minutes away from the lot at that point. And in those two minutes, I knew, it, I knew instantly it had to be in our, in our, in hour four, um, just from a logistical standpoint, because hours one through three were locked. Mm -hmm. um, the only cuts I was still working on that were still open were hours four and five, the Arrow and, and Legends hours. And and I just sort of instinctively knew it couldn't be an hour five because hour five, just the nature of the story, there's no place to put it except in the around the horn moment. Right. But the whole sort of raison d'etre of having Ezra was to have Ezra and Grant interacting, which means that it has to be an hour four. And I'm like, okay, well, they're moving through the speed force in hour four. So there's an opportunity here. And it was basically like, it, it was sort of kind of simple. The, the challenge actually, in all honesty, that the big challenge was writing the scene because- Where he references Victor, so smart. Well, and by the way, that was Ezra's idea. You know, that was Ezra's idea. Um, because, you know, again, all this has to get cleared. Now it's got to get through, cleared through theatrical. It's a, it's a lot of stuff, you know, we had people from theatrical on the set that day. Um, but, you know, oh, you know, it was Ezra's idea. And like, you know, obviously we, we were thrilled about it. Um, and the really kind of funny thing, here's the, here's the funny uh, little coda to all this. Um, Mark Bunting, who was the first assistant director on Arrow for its entire run, um, it, he moved, after Arrow ended, he moved over to be an assistant director on Flash. Um, and it's the assistant director who calls rap at the end of every shooting day and, and actually calls series rap on cast and series rap on the show, ultimately. Um, and Mark, I think, has the distinction of being the only AD in history who had to series rap Arrow or series rap a show three times. He series wrapped Arrow um, when we finished the filming of uh, 808. Uh, he series wrapped Arrow the day after when we did one pickup shot for the Birds of Prey uh, backdoor okay. pilot. And then finally, because this, even though it was shot on the Flash set, 
um, it was in an episode of Arrow, Arrow, and he called series rap on Arrow for the third time. And I, I just, I just, I like to tease him. I'm like, you know, we're just gonna have you series rap the show until you get it right. Um, but it was uh, that was so wonderfully fulfilling. Um, it, it really, it, it just, I, I still, again, I, I can't believe we did it. I can't <laughs> believe we did it. Um, you know, it's just shocking to me. Um, I mean, also again, like you gotta like. You got to get the costume. You got to get the costume up to Vancouver. Like, yep. there's a lot of stuff that goes in. And, and by the way, the other amazing thing, Ezra Miller landed in Vancouver Airport, walks through Vancouver Airport. Like, no one sees him. No one, no <laughs> one, that didn't get spoiled. And I'm like, how did that not get spoiled? Sure. Like, with, because, with, with social media as toxic as it is, like, how that didn't get. Well, also, on Vancouver. There. In Vancouver, you have literally photographers camped out sure, at the airport, yeah, yeah, um, to see who's flying in. Yeah. I, I can't. I. It's a miracle of irreducible proportions. Yeah, I, nothing in your career, and I hope your career is far from over. But oh, but nothing you. in your career will top that. There might be something that comes close, but that is a crowning moment. That crisis. Oh is a crowning moment. It's a, it's a pinch yourself kind of thing. It's, it's such an accomplishment. And like I said, I, th this is, this is something, you know, we know what the Arrowverse is. We know okay. what it was. It happened in a time. It was probably the last, uh, as we just said on this, on this podcast, it's the last run of 22 episode episodic yeah. TV episodic TV is so hard to write and it's so hard to keep compelling. And there's no way you can keep hitting doubles and triples. You, you just can't, especially now where you've seen the model of these yeah. short series and, you know, Green Lantern, I'm sure is going to be eight, 10 or 13 episodes. And that, you know, that that's what it's going to be. And that's where TV is going to be able to pull off an event like that. It dwarfs your other crossovers. And it's not to knock the other crossovers. The crossovers are great, but that was cool in its own right. When you did that crisis, it seemed like it took it to a whole new level. And, uh, you know, I, I, I will leave this here as your invite to come back. This okay. is your invite to come back. Way, you've already got me coming back because I'm like, it's just so sweet to hear this. Oh, good. <laughs> so I, you know, we'll have to schedule it for when I'm, you know, feeling bad about can, myself. Well, so. you and you can talk about Green Lantern. Well, that, that sounds great. That sounds that's, great. That, that's, yeah. that's a plan. Um, the two things are, is who do I have to have on the podcast to get a greenlit HBO Max, Brandon Routh, Kingdom Come storyline miniseries? That's one you don't have to answer yet. That 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 that's uh, one. You need you need to get Casey Boyce. And the second one is there's no stinking way Tom Welling would give up his powers. Oh, no you know, way. So okay, come back on the podcast and we can let me speak to that. I, I can I can actually speak to that. So so that whole scene was you know the great thing um, about you know the crisis writers room was we we had writers from Smallville, um, sure. you know, Carolyn and Don and Holly are all from Smallville and they wrote that scene and that him giving up his powers was an homage to Superman two. Hmm. Um, so when you say Clark would never give up his powers, I just go. So it's that, I, so it's that 
chapter, like it's it's that point in when you see Tom Welling that there's a really good chance that if it was six months later, he'd have his powers. Uh, that's uh, yeah, he's been uh, working out. Um, you know, uh, yeah, yeah, I mean, I think you know, there's a diner um, near my house in New Jersey yeah. that looks just like that. Diner. Oh, really? I, I love I I love that scene, and I I I love that scene in Crisis. Like it's just you know, I mean, Tom was so fantastic and just. Oh, just, it just, again, can't believe we did it. Can't believe we did it. Well, and, and Tom, I did a, a panel with Tom that we turned into one of the episodes of this podcast and uh, he had just filmed it and so oh. nobody knew. And so the timing of it was so unique and he was oh. such a good, good guy. And he's a um, great guy. He's I... really embraced, you know, at the time, yeah. I think he was kind of like, he tried to distance himself from Superman and the whole uh, Superman mythos. And now I think he's starting to embrace it. And I, I think so too. And, and, you know, it was really like, it's like the ball player who never talked to the media when they were yes. playing and then joins the media. <laughs> yeah. Or, or just starts, you know, starts giving interviews and it's yeah. great. Like, and, and, you know, um, and he's just, he's so, he's, he's actually such a, you forget um, because he's so associated with that role you forget actually just what a great charismatic actor Tom is. Um, and honestly, I wish, I wish he worked more. Like, I mean, I know that's, it's not because it's, it's, that's his own choice, obviously, right. but um, I, I wish he worked more because I, I, he's, he's a TV star to me, man. Like he's, you know, uh, and he, and he's someone who you just don't see enough of um, given how talented he is. Great, great idea. Well, Mark, uh, like I said, we could do this for hours and hours and hours and hours. I knew that when I when it was suggested that we might have a podcast, there's just a treasure trove of stuff just to, to shoot the bull about. Congratulations on your amazing career. Congratulations on what's next. Uh, and just let's keep in touch and, and, yeah. and, and continue to come back. Even even stuff that's not in the genre. Uh, you, you, you have a, a, a plethora of things that you're working on that are just uh, fascinating. Uh, how can people find you online? Ooh, uh, I'm most active. And do you on... want them to? <laughs> no, I do actually. It's it's funny. Like I, I think I've now curated my feed to the point, my Twitter feed to the point where like it's actually like you know it's it's not uh, like a toxic wasteland. But um, I yeah, I'm on Twitter at at m Guggenheim. Um, I'm on Instagram at Mark Guggenheim, uh, Mark the C. And I like a few months ago, uh, I launched a Substack newsletter. Um, and that's on markguggenheim.substack.com, obviously, um, that comes out not quite every Friday, but, um, and it, it's, you know, it's mainly updates about the work I'm doing, um, you know, but it occasionally it's an observation or something, you know, just something that was on my mind. Um, and, uh, you know, it's a nice little, you know, it's not a, not a long read. Um, I'm not overwhelming people with information, uh, but... Uh, there's art, there's photos, and it's, uh, it's fun. Well, great. And uh, what I will say is uh, if there's anything that you heard in this podcast uh, that you have an issue with, do me a favor, reach out to Mark directly and leave me the hell out of it. <laughs> um, I, I, uh, yeah, thanks. Thanks for that. Yeah. <laughs> Mark, it's great to have you, man. Thanks for doing this, and let's talk again. Sounds good. I really appreciate it. Thank you. That is Mark Guggenheim. Our thanks to everybody for listening. Don't forget, each and every Thursday, a new episode of The Hall of Justice comes out. So make sure you subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And we will talk to you then. Believe it or not, I'm walking on it.